one on a Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, we are in hour two of the program. Sean Gentilly from The Athletic in Pittsburgh is going to join us in just a minute here to kick off hour two. Hour two of the Halbro experience is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Finally, we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Jason, tell people, Kintech, now good, yes. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. The voice still isn't 100%. Uh, yeah, you're, but you're better. You're, you're, you're slowly but mm-hmm. steadily making gains. Over the weekend, uh, I went to coach some hockey, and I'm like, I'm not going to yell. I'm not going to yell. But they're six-year-olds, yeah. so uh, you're yelling. Like, come off the ice. It's your turn to come off the ice. You should have gone AV style behind the bench or wherever you were coaching from and gone right. with the lozenge. Right. And well, what, thrown the lozenge at the well, kids every time oh, there's, a, there's a line Do change? they allow those little megaphones behind the bench? Can you just have one of those? <laughs> that would be <laughs> awesome. You. Did you still, still the ice. sound like Fran, the waitress, yelling at the kids? Like, get off the ice, kids. Time for line change. Come on and bring the cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> Should mention we have a guest on hold. Uh, Sean Gentilly joins us now from The Athletic in Pittsburgh here on the Halford & Brough Show on Sportsnet 650. Penguins Canucks tonight, 4 o'clock from Pittsburgh. Hi, Sean. How are you? Fellas. Uh, Bruff, could you just like, I feel like not being able to yell at the kid is almost worse. Like you would just speak to them extra sternly right? and, uh, and, and upset them. Get off the ice right now. Yeah. Like through like gritted teeth. That doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't seem like that's good either. No, I just tried to yell. I, I was like, who cares? It's just a morning radio show. I'm going to yell. That's true. Uh, <laughs> hey, by the way, speaking of coaches, Sean, you just had a piece drop on the athletic the uh, NHL coaching hot seat. I'm glad you asked the question, how has nobody been fired yet? Because it's the NHL. They change coaches like they change underwear. It's boring right <laughs> now because there's nobody getting traded and there's no coaches getting fired. <laughs> you guys you guys know how this works. Like uh, This is how the sausage gets made. Yeah. We're starting a new thing like every Tuesday. There's going to be some kind of you know listicle list sort of thing on the site where Yes, it's going to be numbered and whatever, but the thought is that, you know, there's going to be some reporting into it. There's going to be some time put into it. It's not going to be a total toss-off. But, you know, the upshot is that it does kind of need to be a list, and it just started, Mm. and I fell on the grenade, basically, of the NHL coaching hot seat because it sucks. Like, nobody nobody likes writing those. It feels weird to do them when, when, uh, when things are going poorly. And it feels even weirder to do them when you're like, are any of these guys like actually truly going to get fired this season? Right. And that's kind of where I landed on this. Like I put a bunch of names on it and I didn't, you know, wasn't trying to make it seem like these guys are imminently going to lose their job, but we're at the, yeah, we're at a weird dead point in the schedule. And I think in the thought process there where, you know, most teams a have gone, gone on far enough. We have, we didn't see them in the November firings, which we usually do. Most teams are okay, and other teams are okay being bad. And then some teams have just good coaches that are kind of underachieving. So it is weird. The end result was me being like, I don't know if any of these guys are actually going to lose their job. And that goes for Pedro too. Like, yeah. who knows? It's, it's, it's insane. 
I know Boudreaux's the cover boy, for lack of a better term, on the, the article. There's the picture of him rubbing his forehead, sitting, standing mm. behind the Canucks bench, which is could have been taken from any game this season, I think. I don't know <laughs> what particular game that photo was from. But, you know, let's park the Boudreaux thing because we've litigated and relitigated. Yeah, the, I thank yeah, you. Yeah. Um, Mike Sullivan in Pittsburgh because he makes the article, but it's under the subhead, don't bother bringing it up. We've talked about Pittsburgh this year being outside the playoff picture, been a bit of a struggle. Sullivan is such a decorated coach, and he's done such a good job there. I understand why you're not bringing it up. But at the same time, Sean, you brought it up. So give us a sense of where things are at with Sullivan in Pittsburgh right now. It's definitely kind of a preemptive thing. It's probably some BS by me. Just, to, just again, because you have Mike Sullivan at the top of the list. It's like, ooh, look at this. But, <laughs> no, it's it's not happening. He makes $5 million a year, and he's signed through 2027. And most people here still love him, and the new ownership group loves him. I mean, he, he checks every box. It's not going to happen. But you still have, just like any fan base, you still have factions that are, as soon as things go a little sideways, as soon as they have a few protracted games where they look, you know, sloppy, it's like, God, oh, Sullivan lost the room. It's time to move on. And, and it's understandable. Like, I, I get it. People people have that impulse, especially on a team that's, you know, kind of locked into the roster they have. They don't they don't have cap space. It's going to be tough for them to improve meaningfully. So I get it. I get that people are, like, you know, trying to figure out what buttons there are to push and kind of land on him first. But it's not happening. It was never going to happen. It will never happen. There's no point in discussing it. And I feel like, you know, and I might be biased because I'm in Pittsburgh and I'm surrounded by these people mm. and I'm friends with some of them and I'm related to some of them, but it's just, it's not happening. So the synopsis for the Penguins, which is on ice problems, not necessarily behind the bench or not at all behind the bench. This is what you wrote. The bottom six is bad. The defense has a Brian Dumoulin problem. The roster is old and cap space is basically non-existent. So that's a laundry list of issues. Let's work through this. What is the Brian Dumoulin <clears throat> problem? Uh, he aged overnight. Like that guy was a legitimate top pair defenseman for a bunch of years. He's still not, you know, he's 31 or 32. Like he's not, he's not an overly old dude, but he lost some sort of step over the last, you know, season or two. And he's barely playable. He's, he's not a, he's not a top pair left side defenseman. He's no kind of, you know, appropriate partner for Chris Letang. He looks, awful and that when you when you talk about the roster that they've built that is maybe not a fatal flaw but it's a major 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 hurdle to overcome because they have no they have no margin for error they cannot they could not and cannot have a player who they're giving that much money and have that much uh have put you know have that much tied up in and are playing in such a prominent role they got to have those dudes if nothing else they need to have those dudes performing at their you know, at a pretty high level, and he hasn't been close. And the end result is that they have, you know, two two left defensemen on the, on a, on a roster that, as you as you guys know, you need uh, typically need three of those to to play an effective NHL game, and they they don't got it right now. So, what do the Penguins do? Obviously, these guys are all in on this current roster. Um, I know there will be some Penguins fans that be like, "We have so little in terms of prospects. Can we really trade the first round pick?" Um, could you trade that first round pick? Do you think they will trade that first round pick? Obviously you can lottery protect it, but, um, there has to be 
some thinking from Penguins management or Penguins ownership, like we've gone all in with this roster of, let's face it, quite a few old guys. Things are already pretty dire in terms of the future five, six years from now. We might as well just keep going. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you guys there. I don't think that's where management is. And I don't think that's where the ownership group is. Like I would, I think there's certainly, is it, is it stupid or not is another question, but I think there's a block on trading, on trading a first round pick. Like oh, Hextall okay. did, Hextall did well to avoid it last year. Honestly, it, it, he was, you know, he wheeled and dealed and got a little bit better, you know, down the stretch without moving one of those. So I think the thought process is they're going to try to do that again, you know, second round picks or whatever, all that stuff that's, that's up for, I would imagine that's up for grabs, but I think in terms of optics, in terms of the functionality of it, I, I, I don't see them trading the first round pick. No, because here, here's the other thing too. First round picks typically go for guys who make a bunch of money. <laughs> they go for good players. They go for guys who, who you have to accommodate under the salary cap and actually, you know, carve out space for. And the Penguins don't have that either. They're, they have, their cap space is like, in the tens of thousands, their projected cap space, the deadline is in, you know, tens of thousands, not, not tens of millions. Do they have any bad contracts that they could send back the other way? Uh, maybe an expiring contract, anything like that? Dumoulin. <laughs> I think he's, he's a guy. But, but they would where... need him still. Don't they, don't they still need Dumoulin? Like, or is he at a level right now? I think he's border. Like he's, he's looked unplayable at times, honestly. And so I, I think, I think you could argue if, if they had other things going well, if Chad Ruedel and like the, you know, the bottom of the lineup, you know, Ty Smith, who they got in the John Marino trade, if those guys were to show a little bit more and they could, yeah. And they could find some way to package Dumlin and create, use that to create space and then use that space on something else. I think, I think I, I would do it if them, cause he, cause he has some kind of trade value, which is funny. Like he, he, he isn't on an expiring deal. You know, you can imagine maybe someone being kind of interested with him if they retain some amount of money, but it's tough. It's a classic situation, and it's similar to what the Canucks have, have in, a, in a way of what them, you know, where they found themselves. It's like the top of the roster, you don't want to trade them, and then the bottom of the roster, nobody's going to want. So it's like, what are the what are the actual trade the tradable assets here? That, other, that another team is going to want to add to their books and also will get you something decent in return. They don't have a lot of guys to check those boxes. Like, what are they going to do? Trade Kasperi Kapanen for, you know, for uh, for uh, a, thir- a, a third-line winger? Like, yeah. he should be that third-line winger, and he's not. So, yeah, they're, they're, they're in a tough spot as far as, as far as improving. So we all know that the Penguins made some decisions to keep the core together, Malkin and Latang re-signing and of course Sidney Crosby is not going anywhere um the Penguins right now seem to be a bit of a coin toss whether or not they're going to make the playoffs let's say they miss let's say one of these teams in the east hunts them down and they don't make the playoffs how does that change things in Pittsburgh it's a great question it's a question that they might end up facing I, I still think they make the playoffs for the record but you know we'll see this is a team that's capable of going totally in the tank and we've seen it twice this year it happened you know in november and it's happening again now where they're where well i mean they just beat the coyotes so take that as you will but before that they looked dead they looked dead on their feet for for a couple weeks right so if they hit another one of those at at the wrong time given how much better you know 
the middle class in the Eastern conferences, like, yeah, who, they could, they could certainly miss the playoffs, but if they do, man, I think then you got to ask some tough questions. Like I, like your Crosby's not going anywhere. I Malkin's not going anywhere. And Latang, I think, I think is, you know, they just signed those deals a year ago. Yeah, but, but yeah. To me, the to me, it's like, what do you do with Brian Rust? I think he's the guy who, who you're like, also almost 30 now, by the way. Makes a ton of money. He's the guy out of that group who who signed new deals in the last offseason where if stuff if stuff goes sideways a little bit here and they're trying to move somebody and they're trying to create space, I think Russ is the dude who they would move because the contract is still pretty good. Yes, he's almost 30, but not quite, and he's been a really productive player over the course of his career. So he he might be able to get some action in terms of a return, but it's at this point, especially a year out from – all those flowers that everybody gave them for keeping the core around and all the sentiment and all that stuff. It's really, really hard for me to see them moving either of the three big guys. Are we talking enough about how much better the Eastern Conference is and the Western Conference is right now? Because if you look at it, Washington's gone on a crazy heater to get all the way up to third in their division. They're not even a wild card team anymore. They're third. New Jersey's been uh, their arrival as being a contender has happened a lot faster than a lot of people thought it was going to, I think. Boston never fell off. In fact, Boston got significantly better to the point where they only have four regulation losses this entire year. Uh, the Rangers were slow, but then they, they've got back on track. And then you, if you look at the immediacy right outside the playoff picture, Pittsburgh's holding the second wild card with a points percentage near 600, which is good. Then you've got the Islanders, who are pretty good, Buffalo and Florida. So it's like it is a real meat grinder right now. Whereas last year you had such a big gap between the have and have-nots with playoffs and non-playoffs. It's shaping up to be a thing where Pittsburgh could have like an above average to decently good year and miss the playoffs because there's so much competition. Yeah, it's, it's wild because there's been teams that have – I mean, yeah, the the Bruins leveled back up and they're, they're a juggernaut obviously, but it's been a case of some teams coming back to the pack a little bit and then seeing – there's teams that are regressing like, you know, the Panthers and the Penguins to an extent. And then there's teams that are, that are jumping up too. So the end result is, yeah, it's a, it's, you at least have to pay attention to the standings every night. Right. And that yeah. didn't feel like the case, the case last season. And it's because some teams are underachieving and some teams are overachieving, but the, cause you know, the Red Wings, they're a tougher, they're in the tank right now, but they're, they're a tougher out than they were. Ottawa is right there too now. Like like they've made a weird little push yeah. in the last over the last six weeks. So yeah, there's no there's no easy nights there. Not in the way that there's been that there's been in the past. Absolutely. Uh, before we let you go, we do have a game tonight to at least preview. It's the Canucks and the Penguins, four o'clock from Pittsburgh. Uh, is what are the, what's the situation in net big picture? Because it seems like one of those whoever gets hot or is playing well at the time gets a run of games. I think the Smith's been the goalie of record in the last three, but it's been very back and forth. Is this a case of Sullivan waiting for a guy to run with the ball? Have they not, both of them just not been all that great? What's been the situation in net this year? They've both been both been pretty average and. In Jari's case, you know, he's hurt. So he he left the Winter Classic with an injury. But he's good for one of those every every couple months. Like he's he's tough to he's tough to rely on uh for a full schedule. And DeSmith is what he is. Like he's not a one A, he's a legitimate he's a he's a backup who can come in and spell the starter for a time, but if you have him as your as your guy in net for the for a month or six weeks or whatever, it's probably it's probably not going to work out. But yeah, neither guy's been 
neither guy's been particularly great. Neither guy's been consistent. I think that's the main thing where each of them has had stretches where they, where they look really good and stretches where they look really bad. And I mean, geez, you, you guys, you guys know this, that's the difference between being, you know, a true all-star caliber goalie and not right. Like anybody can look good for a couple weeks. It's, it's the guys who do it for months and months on end. And yeah, that's the hurdle for Jari in, in particular. He looks fantastic for stretches and then, you know, really, really pedestrian at, at others. And, you know, yeah, he's hurt right now, but, you know, it, it applied when he was healthy. Well, yep. in light of everything that you've said now, um, the tonight's game should feature about, I don't know, 27 to 28 goals combined because the Canucks... I'm psyched. Yeah, like, if you're going, <laughs> enjoy it. Like, I was telling this uh, story to uh, our producer that I was driving around on Sunday when the Jets-Canucks game was on, and every time <laughs> I got out of the car a minimum of two goals would be scored. And I was running quick errands. So yeah. I would, I ran in to get something to eat. It was 4-2. And then when I came back and took a bite of a sandwich, it was 4-4. That, and that's start- every, every Canucks game right now is like that. It's a minimum of four to five conceded. And then who knows what the Canucks are going to put up offensively. Hey, hey Sean, uh, here's some trivia for you. Um, I'm going to actually make you guess. How mm-hmm. many times this season um, have the Canucks surrendered five or more goals? Five or more goals. So they played, what, 38 or 39 games? Five or more goals. I saw the clip you guys posted yesterday of you guys just being like, uh, we said that we we said that they need five to win. That's actually not true. They probably need six. <laughs> Which is unreal. Okay, so how many games have they played? 39. 39, 39, 39 games. games. How many times have they allowed, have they allowed, uh, have they allowed five? Five or more. Five or more. Yeah. Five or more? 19. You, you overshot it by two, but 17, oh. 17. Can you believe that? That's almost like <laughs> half the games that they've surrendered five or more goals. So buckle up. It's going to be a sloppy hockey game tonight, Sean Gentile. Enjoy it. <laughs> God bless all of us, and good, and good luck to, to, to everybody who's involved with this one. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you taking the time today. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll talk soon. All right, fellas. Later. Uh, Sean Gentili from The Athletic in Pittsburgh here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. That's the sell now for every every team that the Canucks are going to go up against on this road trip. We'll get a beat writer on, and at the end we'll be like, I bet you're going to see a lot of goals tonight, my friend. I like this text into the Dunbar Lumber text line. You know if Pittsburgh or Edmonton miss the playoffs, they will win the draft lottery. Bedard playing with McDavid. Wow. Hmm. Oh, God. Can you imagine? I don't think... I'd be able to handle. I, I would actually not be a hockey fan ever again. I would just stop watching forever. Well, if Edmonton, would, if Edmonton won, yeah, it, if Edmonton won, it, I would just check out for eternity. Well, what's crazy is that Edmonton and Pittsburgh. I mean, we throw this generational term, and everyone's got a different degree of um, acceptance for that phrase. Generational. I I have a pretty high bar, but my list of generational players is that I've seen play. I never saw Bobby Orr play. Um, is Gretzky, Lemieux, Sidney Crosby, McDavid. Ovechkin? I'd probably throw Ovechkin in. The, yeah, I mean, Greatest just in terms of goal scoring, yeah. And Diddick. Cause you have the and Gerald Diddick, of course. Diddick, yeah. And and also, you know, I, I'd probably consider throwing Yager in there too, right? Like yep, just in yep. terms of like how many times are we going to see a player like Yager? So, so Pittsburgh had Mario, Sid, and Yager, and Edmonton had – Gretzky and McDavid and we're talking prime years Mm -hmm. you know I like I know that you know Gretzky went to St. Louis and and the Rangers but he wasn't the same Gretzky he was in Edmonton in the early parts of the LA stint 
and I know Yager's played for every team in the in the world, but you know his performances when he was with the Pittsburgh Penguins were incredible. Were yeah. incredible, yeah. Um, and those two teams have had unbelievable. Like Pittsburgh, I don't even know if Pittsburgh would have a hockey team if they didn't have those players. Like Mario saved them, mm-hmm. Sid saved them. They purposely uh, tanked for Lemieux. I remember. No, but like financially speaking, yeah, no, they were in why. trouble with with Mar- Like Mario owned the team. Mario kept the team afloat. Yeah, and then Sid probably—I don't know exactly what the timing was—but would Sid have helped them build that arena? Did he ever play at the Igloo? Uh, in ter- 05, not not ha- not not like he was out there with like a like a hammer and a shovel or anything helping <laughs> them build the arena. But right. just oh, maybe in terms of their financial viability. You had concerns multiple times about the Pittsburgh Penguins, mm-hmm. about whether or not they'd survive or whether or not they'd have to move. At any rate, it just goes to show you that some teams like Edmonton and, and Pittsburgh have been hogging all the generational players. Yeah, they're not allowed anymore. That's it. They've had enough. No more. I got a feeling. I got a feeling both will find their way in. They're especially in the case of Edmonton because um, the the quote unquote chase. They haven't like they haven't played great, but they haven't lost nearly enough ground. It'll be more difficult for Pittsburgh of the two. And and, and as Dan and Fort St. John points out, um, just because you miss the playoffs doesn't necessarily mean you have a chance at that first overall pick because you can only move up ten spots. So Dan texts in. That's where the move up ten spots rule kicks in, though. Hard to believe either of those teams will be that bad. That's um, true. So I agree with that. I'm now I'm down the road of looking at where Crosby played. So it was the, the old one was, it went chronologically Mellon arena prior to, and then it was the Pittsburgh civic arena, which was the igloo, right? Weren't they the same thing? Yeah, but that's, that's the same one. And then yeah, in, yeah. in 2010 is when they, the igloo. Then, but yeah, but then 2010, it was PPG paints after that. Is that, yeah, I, so Sid would so have been Sid with the team. Yeah, yeah. So he's, Sid, yeah. Cause he broke in 0506 mm-hmm. and the last season they used it was 2010. So there you have it. Uh, we got a lot more to get to on the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, so, a programming alert, not for today, but this is confirmed for tomorrow, right? That we got Jeremy Colleton coming on the show? Yeah, 7.30. So, we talked a lot about coaching with Sean Gentile. He just put up the NHL coaching hot list meter ranking, what have you, listicle, uh, at The Athletic. Uh, over the weekend, we put out the chase to try and get Jeremy Colleton, who of, cor- co- cor- who, of course, is coaching... The Canucks AHL affiliate in Abbotsford. Carlton also has a pretty interesting backstory given I don't think he was the youngest ever coach in NHL history, but he was certainly one of them when he inherited that job in Chicago. So I don't just want to ask him about what he's done in Abbotsford. With the benefit of hindsight, I really want to ask him what it was like not just to get a job, but a prolific job at that age, Mm -hmm. but also have to replace... I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer in Joel Quenville. Like, that was a pretty significant guy. It wasn't just replacing a guy. It was replacing the man who was behind the bench for three Stanley Cups in Chicago. I I want to ask Jeremy Colleton what it's like to coach in this era of high-scoring play. Like, how do do you lean into the offense and go, guys, there's so many goals being scored. We got to keep up. Or do you, in some ways, have to emphasize structure and defense even more now because the best defending teams are still the best teams in the league? Right. And I, when you were away, we talked to Chris Faber, 
Canucks Army, Canucks Conversation, of course, probably the most dialed-in AHL Abbotsford beat guy going. And he talked at length about the structure, the system, the style that Colton has implemented. Very detailed analysis, too, talking about like where wingers are positioned on breakouts, where they're supposed to be when the pucks are below the goal line, and all the sorts of things. <laughs> wow, actual yeah. positioning? Actual positioning. That's crazy. And the stuff that he's implementing now, this is the interesting thing. He's implementing with guys now that you would see probably back at the NHL level, maybe not this year, but mm-hmm. in the, especially with the likes of Pod Coles and, and Hoaglander, uh, guys that you expect to be contributing at the NHL level back again real soon. So there's a lot to be taken into consideration there. I'm, I'm pretty excited to talk to Jeremy Collett, and that's going to be tomorrow. Uh, we can get into the coaching conversation, what the future might look like there, coming up in the next segment, or anything you want to discuss about the Vancouver Canucks, tonight's game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, NHL-wide, heck, anything you want to tackle in the world of sports. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. It is the Smalt Alternative. Open segment coming up, 8 o'clock hour, it's the Drancer, 8.30, it's what we learns. That same text line number, 650-650, is where you should send your what we learns. What did you learn over the last 24 hours in sports? Let us know. But we have an open segment. Anything you want to ask, anything you want to discuss, it's up to you, the listener. That's coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. <laughs> Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Hour two of the program brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. A reminder, you can listen to this show uh, on traditional radio, HD radio at 96.9 FM, HD3. That's my favorite. Uh, You can also download the podcast, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you want. We're on 8-Track. We are on 8-Track. We are recording this manually for the 8-Tracks. We're also streaming live. You can watch, yes, watch the Halford and Bruff show. Sportsnet Now app. Download it. Consume our content. There's so many more visual gags. So many more. I make hand gestures. Jason wears his, his headphones on his head all funny. <laughs> Bruff looks slightly left and slightly right. <laughs> yeah. Adjust his headphones. It's, pretty it's great. wild. <laughs> it's all the stuff you could imagine that goes on behind the scenes of an AM sports talk radio show. Uh, let's dip into the Dunbar Lumber text line now. Uh, if you've got any questions or comments, send them in. There still is time. It is the smart alternative. Visit Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Butus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Sparky has a question. Spark- isn't that what... Uh, Sparky Anderson? Uh, no, isn't that what Clark Griswold's yeah. wife used to call him? Sparky? Yeah, Sparky. Oh, Sparky. Yeah. You know that reference. Oh, I, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Christmas Vacation. Of I knew it was going to be Christmas of Vacation. Well, and the original the I original knew it vacation. was going to be Christmas Vacation. Well, that's the best one. Is that the... Come on. That's right, the best we're one. We're not going there. Sparky asks, <laughs> are the Bruins so good because they keep managing to tweak and push the right buttons every year or because the players and coaches have familiarity 
and continuity. The answer is yes. Year after year. Yes I mean, there's both. so many reasons why the Bruins are are so good. For me, it starts with uh, Bergeron and, and Marchand. And people, uh, Marchand, not Brad Marchand. Yeah. Um, Todd Marchand. Todd Marchand. Um, people say a lot of the times, like, how have the Bruins remained good? It's like, well, when the Canucks and the Bruins played each other, Bergeron and, and, and Marchand were still young. Yep. They're much younger than the Sedins. They'd been through um, a lot less in terms of, um, you know, just being in the league and, and picking up injuries. Like, they were younger than Kessler. They were younger than – they were just – they were young. They drafted past, so that helped. Um, and bit. absolutely, mm-hmm. they have found players. They found star players in the draft, despite having some drafts where they completely blew it. Um, Pasternak, uh, Charlie McAvoy, and then they made good pickups. Mm-hmm. Taylor Hall, you get him on a value deal because his his value was down. Yeah. So they bought low as a, as opposed to buying high. Uh, Hampus Lindholm was a good pickup. Um, I think. I don't know how much of this has to do with anything, but I'm sure the culture that Patrice Bergeron and, and you know, other leaders in, in, in Boston set down has something to do with it. You go into that dressing room and there are certain ways you act. And if you act, you know, not in accordance Can't with, be acting the with fool. Patrice Bergeron and the way he sends down the message, much like sit with Sidney Crosby in, in Pittsburgh, it's, it's not accepted, but there's also, you know, like I don't think we appreciate really how good Patrice Bergeron is as a player. Sure. We definitely didn't appreciate it in 2011. And we we knew that there was a player there. We knew that there was something special there. But his for me he's the Lidstrom of forwards. You watch Patrice Bergeron play and I don't think you'd show up to a game and if you were new to hockey, I don't think you'd you'd watch Patrice Bergeron and go like, "Wow, what an incredible player!" Like, look at the things he does out there. Mm-hmm. In the same way that I don't think you'd go and watch, or if you had watched Nicholas Lidstrom, you wouldn't. It wouldn't be the same as watching a Bobby Orr. It wouldn't be the same as watching Kale McCarr. Now you wouldn't be like, "Wow, that clearly is the best player on the ice." Mm-hmm. He just does everything well. He just does everything like he's just a very, very smart and effective hockey player. He's the small alternative. Can I also he make the a, small alternative. a point yeah. that the, the defensive environment that Bergeron has helped create in Boston uh, has helped two of the top five all-time save percentage leaders yeah. come from this generation mm-hmm. of the Bruins? Tim Thomas and Tuka Rask are five and three, respectively, on the all-time save percentage lead to give you so all that, an that, idea that puts you ahead pretty far to, when you have that kind of goaltending to give you all an idea of why boston has been able to um have this type of longevity patrice bergeron his career high in points is 79 do you know how old he was when he got his career high in points 33 yeah last year patrice bergeron won his fifth selkie for being the best defensive forward in hockey he was 36. The greats so don't age playing. like everyone else. The but, greats. But I don't even think he's aged. I ain't gotten any worse from age 33 to 30, 36. There's been some point inflation in the league, though. Yeah, but he's done, like, for his standard, yeah. which is an offense first, 
He's still putting up remarkable numbers now. He's got 33 points in 40 games this year. So do you think we have the Bruins to blame for a team like the Canucks going on? Well, we could do that. We could do what they do. They're doing it. We Mm. should be able to do it. Um, Do you think we look at, you know, I was just having this conversation. We were just having this conversation about generational players, and someone on Twitter got me and was like, imagine not having Lidstrom on your list, Breath. Like, you should be ashamed of yourself. Do you think the fact that Lidstrom and Bergeron didn't have the same draft pedigree. Like Bergeron was, correct me if I'm wrong, he's a second-round pick and Lidstrom was a third-round pick. Yeah, they are both very late. Like we heard about Bergeron Gretzky. Was, yeah, Bergeron was 45th overall. In we heard about Gretzky from the time he was, I don't know, eight years old or whatever. We heard about Mario in that way. We heard about Sid. Um, we obviously heard about McDavid for a number of years before he was drafted. Do you think that almost... Um, Affects sometimes like the whole general, like we obviously heard about Ovi. He was the first or second overall pick. I can't remember. Was the first overall pick Malkins? Was he Malkins here? I can't remember. Um, we heard about these guys well before they were drafted. Um, and I just wonder if that affects how we view them, or is it almost like with Bergeron and Lidstrom, because of the way they play and it's not a flashy style, they that's, just do everything that's right. It, that's it. We're kind of like. Oh yeah, those guys were pretty good too. Like, if you, if you yeah. look the at YouTube Lidstrom's... generation, doesn't appreciate. The well, I, I would absolutely agree that Lidstrom is generational. In the fact he was the best D man of his era. Look at all the Norris trophies he won. But the way that he plays, you forget about him as a generational kind mm-hmm. of player, just because he doesn't play exciting. But he right. plays perfect he hockey. He plays perfectly. He never made mistakes. Always ever. on the right side of the puck. Always um, perfect. And yeah. just you, you would have him in every scenario. Yeah. You want it. Never you want him mistakes. on the PK. You want him on the power play. You want him at the end of the game. Like, there's no, like, like even with Ovechkin, um, there was a time where he wasn't trusted to be out there with the, when the Capitals had a lead. Okay. Right? Like, they didn't, like, they didn't, you know, he would you know she I mean? sometimes be not yeah. there defensively. I mean, he's a goal scoring winger, yeah. right? Like, you, you know, Ovi doesn't, I don't know, has, has Ovi, how much time do you think in his career Ovi has spent on the PK? 14 seconds. Yeah. Right? Maybe, and maybe, that was like by 15. mistake. Yeah. I got to get out of here. Anyway. Um, okay, so just to clear it up, one, yes, Alexander Ovechkin was the first overall pick in 2004. If Jenny Malkin was number two. Yeah, right. So you got that right. Two, my take on that, because I've thought about this before, is we, I think, anointed Lidstrom as generational in the aftermath of his career when we saw what he did. What you're talking about are phenoms, and this is sort of our, now it's it's common practice for our society, is to anoint someone generational before they're actually Generation. Is that happening right now at all with any players? In yeah, the this is what we do now, though, right? Because the important. Wow, is- what Bedard is doing in terms of his production in the WHL and and the World Juniors. I mean, I don't think we're wrong to say this guy's the next. It's fine. One. It's just you got to understand that some people earn it on merit and it's bestowed upon them, and then some people get it placed upon them ahead of time. Uh, I think the important thing to note here is that the reason the term gets thrown around so loosely is because there is so much now, especially within this NHL industry and conversation that we're having, there's so much focus and so much importance placed on the draft, mm-hmm. young talent, and looking at it beyond the, the scope of can this guy 
help us win Stanley Cups. It's how much value does he have to our overall franchise? Alexander Ovechkin transforming the Washington Capitals. Sidney Crosby being, you know, we talked about Lemieux and Crosby maybe being the saviors of that franchise in Pittsburgh. Yeah, would right? they still be in Pittsburgh if not for those guys? How important and integral is Connor McDavid to the overall franchise value of the Edmonton Oilers? It's mm-hmm. a staggering amount. So when you talk about generational now, it goes into those conversations. And Bedard is going to have that bestowed on him, especially if he goes to a place like Arizona. Speaking of the Edmonton Oilers, I have to admit, I was shocked when I went to their cap-friendly page and looked at their situation with the contracts of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, and my thought was, oh my God, they're running out of time. Mm-hmm. The Edmonton Oilers are running out of time. It's similar to what we did with the Toronto Maple Leafs um, when, it, you know, a few years ago, you looked at their cap-friendly page or whatever page we were looking at at that point and went, yeah, these guys have years and years to figure it out. Right? They've got their guys signed long-term. Now you're looking at Toronto and going, wow, you know what? Austin Matthews doesn't have that long under contract anymore in, in, in Toronto. And with Edmonton, Dreisaitl after this season's only got two years left. Yeah. And Connor McDavid's only got three years left. Well, that's why now like, that's is... That's crazy. That's why now is the time. And it's it really not, is. And it's not just the potential for those guys to leave the market and walk away. It's also... Like, what are they going to cost? If you think they're expensive right now, what are they going to cost to re-sign? And how much harder? I mean, how much harder does that make the job of trying to build a contender? Can you imagine if we, you know, like two two years ago, or not not two years ago, three or four years ago, or whatever, when you've got the lineup that Toronto does, and you've got the lineup that Edmonton does? Can you imagine if neither of those teams makes a Stanley Cup final? Right. I mean, at the very, I, mean, I feel like they're, they're different ones. Like the Toronto one now is about the first round. I think Toronto's going to do something in these playoffs. Right. Edmonton right now is it's the, the fear would be was last season as far as we're going to go, mm-hmm. which was short of a Stanley. You got to the conference final, but then you got the doors blown off you. But I think Toronto's a better team than Edmonton. Yeah. Toronto right now, it's, it, there's, it's such a clear crystal clear narrative with Toronto. It's can you exercise the demons of the first round? Because there's, yeah, of course. at this point, it's just a hang-up thing would more you, than anything else. Would you pick them to beat Tampa Bay if they played them in the first round? Because I would. I find it uh, illogical to pick the Toronto Maple Leafs to get out of the first round because this group has never done it once. Yeah. Right? It's It's got to <laughs> happen eventually. Does it? Maybe. Does it? Well, that, that, that's a question, right? It doesn't maybe, have to happen eventually. I, I doesn't. would I would pick them, and people can say you're crazy, bruh, or whatever. But I, I, I thought you know I think they've learned some lessons. They said the I, same I, things about the Buffalo Bills in the Super Bowl that if you just keep going, <laughs> eventually you'll win one. Go to four in a row and see what happens. It maybe do, you'll win one. It does make it exciting though, right? Like it, it's uh, the best. It's going to be the know. best story going into the playoffs. Is that whoever, if you're uh, any other team in the Eastern Conference, I know you wouldn't pick Toronto, but I'd pick Toronto to it, go up against in the first round. To go out in the first round? No, to go up against. Oh. Yeah, just because of how emotionally fragile they'll be if they, they have, go down yeah, like, like one well, game or two some, games. Like, I mean, you're like, well, we'll just take our chances with something imploding here. The goalie, an injury, someone decides not to show up, Mitch Marner gets his nose out of joint and stops trying, anything. Yeah. They're, they're going to be the most fun team from a schadenfreude perspective for sure. Mm-hmm. 
Because last year they was, played so well, there was no reason they that they should so have, well. There in was that no reason that they should have lost yeah. last year's. They were more than good enough to win. Yeah, but they didn't, mm-hmm. and that's the great part of it. Is something always goes wrong? Well, I then know what it is. You also have to imagine the path that the Leafs would have to take to get to the Stanley Cup final. Right now, they would have to beat uh, Tampa Bay, and then they would probably get Boston, barring some crazy upset in the first round, and then. You're looking at them either getting maybe Carolina or New Jersey. See, if they win the first round, though, then it's all bets are off. If they win the first yeah. round, though, then they get their old nemesis, the Boston yeah, Bruins. It doesn't there's, matter. It doesn't there's matter. no way they're beating the Bruins. It just oh, yeah. They can beat the not. Bruins. Yeah. No way. Them, remember, remember, do you guys remember when the Canucks beat the Blackhawks in the round one in 2011? Does anyone remember that? Um, that was a good moment. That was a good moment. But uh, remember <laughs> remember the next round? I don't. It didn't matter who it was yeah. in the next round. I was like, they're not losing. Mm-hmm. They're just not. It was Nashville, by the way. Yeah, right. It didn't matter who it was, though. Yeah, I remember when they went up against San Jose. I'm like, they're not losing. No, you just had that feeling. Okay, like, look, like, and then maybe, I remember they went up against Boston. Yeah, they I was were like, they're yeah. not going to win. Maybe they're not they would that. take that feeling and ride a couple wins out of it, but they wouldn't win the series off of it. I don't think the yeah. it's the, Bru- the Bruins are like incredible this year. This is like the best Bruins team they've ever had. You know what the problem with the Bruins is? Like the best Bruins team. The Bruins are going to. I hate to say the that. Bruins are going to peak too early. Their best hockey is going to be played in the first half of the season. There's no way you can keep winning games at this clip. Well, maybe not quite at the clip they're on now. No, no, but I don't close. think they're going to fall off a cliff. They have an 850 points percentage. No, I know it's they insane. Still, it's insane. It's January 10th. Mm-hmm. The Boston Bruins have still not lost a game in regulation. What was their record 19, the other day? It was like 34 and four. 32, four and four. Yeah. They're 19, 0 and three at home. Can you imagine coming into work after 85 percent of the Canucks games? It's a win. How different the vibe oh would God, be, the so feeling happy. would be in here. The clip, the fan yeah. blogger, we'd never have to put the rudder for that. No, no. We'd get no, no usage. No. Yeah. But that's have where... You, have, you, have you seen their uh, cap-friendly scenario? I think two-thirds of their team is depending on restricted free agent, especially up front. Boston? So Boston is yeah. definitely going to feel that, like, this This could be it, guys. Do you know what Pasternak's contract is going to be? He's a pending UFA. Mm-hmm. He I has... Do, I do know. He has what? He's, I think he's over 30 goals now. He's, he has 32 goals and 58 points in 40 games. He's basically a goal-a-game guy. That he has is 32 to, goals in 40 games. That is going to be an incredible contract to monitor because he's going to sign that thing just as the NHL is starting to emerge from this flat cap, and he's going to have a ton of leverage Damn. in his negotiations with the Bruins because he's going to be like, if, we, if you lose me, like they're all the Bruins are obviously not going to trade them at the deadline. They're not going to be like, well, we can't sign them, so uh, we're going to have to trade them away. Mm-hmm. They're trying to win a Stanley Cup this year, so he goes into the off season, and he's going to negotiate this contract. Or I don't know, maybe, maybe he's going to negotiate it now. Um, he's going to the number is going to be massive. So they've been writing the number about- is going. Is it could it be? What's the highest cap hit in the NHL right now? Is it McDavid's? 12.5, yeah. So there's could it, an article. Could it surpass that? There's an article in The Athletic that um, it was from a couple of weeks ago from Fluto Shinzawa, who covers the Bruins for The Athletic, and it asked, could Pasternak sign the NHL's next top contract? And it just has to do with timing, honestly. Uh, I know that there maybe there are other players that, quote-unquote, deserve more or have more value um, on their contract, but the, – he could be in the neighborhood of what it, what it would be thirteen million, I guess, if it bumps a year. They're top, but that's the reality of the situation. He is having one of the greatest offensive campaigns in Bruins history, right? We're on, we're talking about a guy that's on pace for between sixty and seventy goals. 
he's not playing regularly with Bergeron and Marchand, is he? Because he wanted that was the whole rift yeah. with Bruce Cassidy is the the two Czech teammates, Krejci and Pasternak wanted to play more together. So I think he's on a line with Krejci, Pasternak, and Pavel Zaka or something like that. Yeah. The check line. So the Bruins have Taylor Hall on the third line. Yeah, and Charlie Coyle down there as well. They're deep up front. They're a good team. Charlie Coyle's an underrated player, you know? Like, he's, he's the type of guy that you win with. Mm-hmm. Strong down the middle. Right? Like, he is, for for me, he's a he's he's a really good 3C. Well, that was a good pickup for them. They did the very, they've got a bit of a blueprint there, by the way, is they've gone out and targeted guys at the deadline and then kept them. They haven't gone rentals, so they got Coyle from Minnesota as an in-season trade deadline and then extended him. Mm-hmm. They did the same thing with Hampus Lindholm. To a lesser degree, they did the same thing with Taylor Hall. I think he played out the year and then stuck. But point being, they've done in-season trades that aren't rentals, and they see a knock-on effect where it's almost like free agency for them, but they get a head start by, you know, and granted, they've had to give up some draft capital and prospects to do mm-hmm. it. But they've done a really nice job of – Filling in the margins by identifying guys that they can keep trade deadline and beyond. And it's right. worked three times for them. Do you think that might happen with Horvat? I'm not saying that he's going to the Bruins. I'm I, I'm saying I wonder if there's a team out there. Horvat is a candidate for that's this. Absolutely. Like, you know what? We're going to negotiate an extension with this guy during the trade. Um, now, that can get complicated sometimes. The Canucks obviously have to give permission for that to happen. Um, I I... I'm also wondering, I was listening to Sat yesterday, I'm also wondering if what the chances of the Canucks circling back and re-signing Horvat are. Oh, it's there. I sigh. How much would that... <sighs> oh, it's how, there. Because I, I, I'm curious yeah, how much... does he want to come back? Uh, who That's knows, the question, really. Who I knows think. what Horvat is thinking right now? You know what? I bet he's got mixed feelings. He's probably like, you know what? I like Vancouver, and you know, I'm the captain here. Uh, if you would have asked him a year ago, he obviously would have wanted to stay, but a lot of things have changed in the last little while. I also wonder what the fan base is thinking, right? There are some people that are very, very frustrated that JT Miller got that contract, which means that Horvat could be on the outs, which to me, I assume that um, that means they want Horvat to stay. But at the same time, um, I think the Canucks should move on from both. Like I, 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 I just do not think that they should give Bo Horvat a big contract extension because of his age, because it hasn't worked. You know, I people are like, well, who would you pick? I would pick neither, mm-hmm. right? Move. I recognize that that Horvat's a good player. I also recognize that JT Miller has a, has an incredible talent offensively. I just wouldn't sign them. I think it would be more of the same. And how much more proof do we need? to see that this current group, as they're assembled, it doesn't work together. It's not working. So um, shake it up. We've got some audio here. This is yesterday, Frank Cervalli on with Sat and Dan talking about uh, another wrinkle, another angle, another development, quote-unquote, in the Bo Horvat situation. I believe there's some team, and this is not conjecture on my part. This is what I'm told. And, it's, and it, just so you guys know and the public knows, because I do – get this a lot in my social media feed saying, oh, why are you doing the agent's bidding? This isn't coming from the agent. I'm telling you that there's one team out there that says, if necessary, they're willing to go to nine for Bo Horvat. Now, there's a lot of things in play. One, he'd have to make it to market in order for that to happen. And two, you know, he's got to want to go there. And three... 
I don't know. I mean, I, I, I just think there's such a huge possibility that he doesn't ever make it to market. I mean, that that's where you get into the weeds with, are you going to allow the Horvat camp to explore an extension with any team that he might be going to at the deadline? My assessment would be this. Whatever it takes, whatever permission you need to grant in order to make sure you get max value extricated from this trade, do it. Do it. If you if he, he needs a team of agents over at, where is he, Octagon, CAA? I don't even know. If he needs five agents to call every team in the NHL to see if there's any possibility of a sign-in trade or an extension or anything you need, if they're going to go down that road and trade him, it has to be a really, really good return coming back because you need to be able to make this a kickstart, a kick in the pants and say, yeah, the captain's gone, our leading goal scorer is gone, but look at what happened. I mean, that was what they did in New York. That's why I really liked what New York did when they did it. The Rangers I'm talking about. Yeah, they also have to they, they have to do that, obviously. I mean, you sit there and go, well, of course the Canucks have to knock it out of the park if they do trade Bo Horvat. But one thing they also can't do is fight the market. The market is going to be what the market is going to be. And I don't want them to take the same route that it seems like they took with JT Miller, where it was, we don't like the potential return here, so we're going to re-sign the guy. Right. That would be bad. That would be very bad. Uh, we got a lot more to get to on the Halford and Ruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, it is almost the 8 o'clock hour. We're going to kick off the 8 o'clock hour with Thomas Drance from the Athletic Vancouver. And, of course, uh, his very own show right here on Sportsnet 650. You'll hear it later this morning. 8.30, we're going to do what we learn. We'll do ours. We'll do yours as well. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. It is the Smalt Alternative. If you hashtag it WWL and you tell us what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports, we'll read it. It's your chance to be on the radio. That's all coming up in the final hour of the show. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.